Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Well, good morning. That might be a really unique passage if this is your first time with us. <laughs> um, but we are traveling through the book of Genesis together uh, at our church, City on a Hill. We like to go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, book through book. Uh, and today we get to Genesis chapter four. And in this, we see some brother-sibling rivalry. Any of that growing up with you? Yeah. Uh, we saw two wives. Not going to ask you to raise your hand for that one. Uh, about whether you're married to multiple women or men. Uh, But there's a lot in today's story. There's a ton that's here today. But what we're learning about in Genesis is that every story that's in God's word is pointing us to an ultimate story. It's pointing us to an ultimate story about God himself revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so in every story, line pointed to him. And it's in that story that you're learning and I'm learning things about our own selves. So as we get started, what we're going to learn from today's passage is that things just keep getting worse. If you want to have like a main idea for today, that's what it is. Things just keep getting worse. Um, Let's scroll back in our mind just for a moment to that painful thing called 2019-2020. I know for our family, it felt like things just kept on getting worse. Worse. We started our church, uh, as many of you helped to plant in 2019. We had six months and then the pandemic hit and our church is shut down. Your lives are shut down. Everything's upended and things just kept getting worse from there. We had political upheaval. Remember all that? We're about to go through that again, I'm sure. And we've got race riots and there's all kinds of variants of coronavirus and things just keep getting worse. Our even adoption of our oldest daughter get uh, got pushed back some. And then we had a new little one come and live with us through foster care. And during that time, it just kept getting worse even. I had a huge, terrible episode with a vestibular migraine, left me in the hospital and then came back and was in my bed for like a month. And I was like, this is just awful. Things just keep getting worse. Now, I know for you, you might've had a harder 2019, 2020 than I did. I'm not trying to downplay mine or yours, but that's the picture I want you to see. This thing's kept on getting worse. And that's what we're going to see in today's passage. Guys, in Genesis chapter one and three, before this, we saw that God created everything and he did it what? He did it perfectly. Everything worked the way it was supposed to. People were loving and serving and sacrificing the way they were supposed to. There was a great cohesion between his created people and his created things on earth. People were walking with God and Adam and Eve had a great marriage and relationship. Sin happened and the whole thing blew up. And then what we're learning today is that Adam and Eve were removed from the presence of God. They're removed from the garden. They're trying to figure out life east of Eden. So if you want the title of today's message, it's living east of Eden. And we're going to learn today, what does it look like to live in a broken world with broken relationships and difficult family situations? That's what we're unfolding today. And in this story, I want you to see your story. Adam and Eve and their kids are trying to figure out how do I live in a broken world with brokenness in me and around me? And I want you to see today, how do we live in a world with brokenness in us and around us? So here's how it starts. Um, What I'm going to do today is you're not going to get a lot of like points from me. You're going to get lots of like micro nuggets, if that makes sense. And at the very end, I'll give you some takeaways, some things to reflect on, but we're going to walk through this narrative because I want you to feel it. 
So it's going to feel less than my typical messages with, you know, bullet points or subpoints. but I want you to feel the narrative as we unpack this together. All right, let's begin in verse one here. I think we'll have the text on the screen for you guys. Verse one, it starts out like this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. So it's transitioning to a new part of the storyline. This is the next chapter. So it's starting with now Adam knew his wife, Eve. Now, if you're interested in that word new, it's like Bible smooth talk. It's like PG language for not just he knew her informationally, but he knew her intimately. This is kind of the Bible's PG slang way of saying that they were intimate together. And so what happened? She conceived and bore a son. Bore Cain was the first human-born person in all of humanity. And so Adam and Eve did enjoy one of the blessings of marriage we're seeing. They enjoyed physical intimacy and they had a child. His name was Cain. We're going to learn later that the name Cain means to prosper. And you're going to see how that's going to be an issue for him, an area of pride. He's successful. He prospers at anything and everything he touches. Everything he does, you're going to learn that's part of the issue. And so we're learning here from the onset that Adam and Eve are starting to follow God again. Remember, they rebelled, both they rebelled against God in chapter three. God told them not to eat of this tree. And they said, nope, I'm gonna live my way. I think you're holding out on me. You're not being good to me. I'm gonna live my way. Both Adam and Eve did that. They began to blame shift and make it all about someone else. God provided a punishment, but also a way of grace. God covered their sin. He could forgive their sin. And he pointed them to a future savior that would crush all of sin. So now they're living outside of the garden and they're like, I think we should follow God again. And if you remember in Genesis 1, God said what? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So Adam and Eve are following God again. We wanna multiply God's image in all the earth. So they did that through child rearing. But notice, I want you to see here that they are trying to follow God but Eve is still trying to take matters into her own hands. And she wants some credit. Did you guys notice that as we're reading? Look at what it says here. They're trying to follow God, but still things in her own hands. It says, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, and then notice kind of the tone in which she says this, I have gotten a man. And then she tacks on with the help of the Lord, I guess. You kind of notice what's happening here. Christians, don't, do, don't we do the same thing? Like we do a good job. You know, we get promoted, we get a good grade, and you're like, I did something awesome. I guess you have to say, and by the grace of God, right? That's kind of what's happening. She's like, I produced a man. And God promised that the, my offspring would be the savior of what I broke so I can fix what's broken. I produced the saving way. And we can tell that there's some arrogance in her heart. Some commentators tell us that Eve is boasting in her abilities over God's sovereignty here, God's promise, God's plan. She's boasting in herself. What she's doing is what we often do. She's minimizing God's hand at work and she's maximizing her abilities over God. And she's trying to use her abilities and her timing to fix the situation that her and Adam broke in Genesis chapter three. See, remember again, God promised her that it was her offspring that would bring healing and rescue and repair to the world that her and Adam broke. But Eve twists the promise and makes it about her. She's less focused on what God will do to fulfill 
the promise to fix the world, and she's more focused on her role in everything. Guys, and as Christians, is this not what we do like all the time? Guys, we focus on our gifts and our talents, our abilities to make like everything right around us. And by the way, is this not like what religion is? We take our good deeds and our Bible reading and our, if we give money to the church and we're like, God, this will be the saving way for me. And maybe some stuff that you did. And that's what Eve is doing. She's saying, I can save this. I can fix this. And that's what really religion is. It's us thinking that our morality paves the way to our eternity. And as Christians, we know that that's just not true. That God alone had to live a perfect life. God alone had to die for our sin. God alone had to be resurrected from the dead. God alone is what brings salvation. It's not whether you have a kid or you do good at church or you give money or you're a moral person. Eve, religion, and us do the same thing. We try to take matters into our own hands to try to bring help, healing, restoration in our own lives. So what happens here? We're going to see that Eve's got some work left to do in her heart, but it's going to resolve by the end of this chapter. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. She doesn't just stay this way. God changes her heart as we see. Verse two, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now she's two for two. She's pumped. She's got two males now. And again, she was told that a male born offspring would rescue her from what she did. And so she's excited. She's like, it's going to be one of these two guys. But notice how Abel like, doesn't get a recommendation here. It's nothing said exciting about him. I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. It's just like, yeah, I got a second kid named Abel. Now I'm a second kid. I get this. There's a lot of pictures of my sister growing up and there's like five of me. And it's because I'm in the background of the picture of my sister. Okay, I get this. This is second born stuff. Some of you, you're like, yeah, I get that. Parents, if you're in the room, it's not your fault. I get it. It's busy with one, two kids. I get it. So here's what happens, right? She's looking forward to the serpent crusher, right? That's what was promised in chapter three, that God would come and crush this serpent. So she's looking out for it. And she's like, man, I'm, I'm producing this. I got two for two. God, you're gonna do this in my life. And says again, now Abel, who's the youngest, it shows you two jobs that they had. Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, the oldest, was a worker of the ground. Now, both jobs, by the way, are valuable, okay? There's two types of jobs going here. Uh, Abel is doing white collar management, He's leading and he's managing the sheep. And Abel is doing, or sorry, Cain is doing sort of blue collar like work. He's working with his hands and he's making sure his family can be provided for and they have food to eat. So both are good jobs and both are of equal value. In fact, again, it seems like Cain is taking the family job. Adam, his dad, was a worker in the garden with his hands. And it seems that that was passed off to Cain, the beloved son, the prosperous son. And then as a result, Abel maybe went into some white collar management and said, I'll manage and lead some sheep. So both of these jobs are good. There's not one better than the other. Verse three, well, in the course of time, it says, which could be, by the way, months, could be years, it could be decades, but some time has passed now that Adam and Eve have been raising their kids. They've got these jobs for a while. Intention begins to rise in the boys' hearts between Cain and Abel and what's been happening with their relationship. And so what happens one day in worship, they were a smaller church plant than us, by the way. There was maybe four or five people. It says, Cain in worship brought to the Lord an offering. So they're coming to church and maybe for us, that would be like our finances or our, our serving or our setup team. And you came to serve today. That's what Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel were doing. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. 
because that's what he did, right? He worked with his hands, worked in a garden. And Abel also brought an offering. And it was of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, guys, at first glance, it doesn't seem like there's really any big issue with this. They both came to worship God, just like you did today. They both offered up songs and prayers and praise, and they offered up some sort of offering like some of you have already done today. Either you've given financially in the back in the box, or you came to literally help set up. You gave some sort of physical offering of your time, your talents, your treasures, your resources. On the surface, it doesn't seem like anything's wrong here with Cain and Abel. Cain brings an offering from his farming, probably something like wheat or corn or something else from the ground. And Abel brings an offering from his flock. He brought a firstborn sheep and its fat portions. By the way, I like steak. And probably the best part of the steak is when you got a little bit of fat on that. So vegans in the room, I know that I just like offended you, but God said he liked the fat part of the steak and so do I, I'm just kidding. But you get the concept that this is what they were offering together. But it's key to know not just what offered, but what happens next. Verse four, and the Lord, look at what the Lord did. The Lord had regard for what? Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, the Lord had no regard. Now that's interesting. Why did God have regard for Abel's offering in worship, but not for Cain's? Both men came to worship, right? Both men came on the same day. Both men came with their hands full, but what's the problem? Why did God accept Abel's, but not Cain's? Let me give you these three real quick things you could jot down or just put in the back of your mind. And we often do the same thing. That's why I'm bringing it up because the problem for them, it's a problem for us at times. The first thing, I think I have it up here, is that Cain gave God his leftovers, his extras, the dregs at the bottom, but Abel gave his first and his best. Guys, both Cain and Abel gave what they had, which was good. They gave with what they had, but Cain gave the last portion and Abel from the best in the first portion. Now, if you know my wife, she does not like to share drinks at all. And if I get to like the halfway point or below, she like will not taste any of my drink because of the, what she calls the floaties or the dregs that are left in there, which I'm pretty cautious, you know, with how I drink my stuff and I'm not like spitting it back in the cup, but she like doesn't like that. So if Emily's gonna have some of my drink, she wants the first and the best. I crack open a soda, I open up a drink and she's the first, I want that first sip. She wants the first and the best. And in my marriage, if I want a happy marriage, I give the woman the first and the best, amen? That's what I do. I heard an amen this last one so far, praise God. Okay, that's, that's in some sense what God is saying. I deserve the first and the best. I am before all creation. I am worthy of everything. And for us, if we really love someone like I seek to love my wife, I want to give her what she desires. Give her the first and the best. And what we're seeing is that Cain takes the first and the best and gives God the leftovers. God, I'm prosperous. That's my name. I'm trying to build my fortune here. I'm trying to build my life. Let me take care of me and mine. And then I'm going to give you what's left if there's some left. God, you already have everything, right? You can just create it. You don't need my offering. That's Cain's perspective. So Cain did come with his hands full, but his heart was empty. That's a big issue that's happening here. Now, just a side note, I'm not trying to jab at you, especially if you're a guest, but I do want to say at least Cain brought something. 
Some of us may be calling Koa Brighton home for a year or two years, and we may not want to serve. We may not want to volunteer. We may not want to care for our community. We may not want to support financially the work that God's doing. I want to say at least Cain brought something. And when we serve as a church family, the goal is that we would bring something to the Lord. And it wouldn't be just the leftovers. It would be the first and the best. That means the first and best of your time the first and best of your heart, not to the church, but unto the Lord. We give the first and best of our finances, of our sacrifice, of our care. It matters not just what we bring, but how we bring it, our hearts. And that's the second point. Cain's problem just wasn't about what he brought with his hands, but about what he brought with his heart. Cain's hands were full, but his heart was what? It was empty. It was filled with pride. His name means prosper. God I don't really need you. I don't really love you. I love me. I love my work. And he thought of himself so much better than others. So he didn't love God. So he didn't want to give God a loving gift. Didn't want to sacrifice or serve God. So he comes empty hearted without a love for God. And he performs just some religious duty. God, God wants our hearts full of delight to serve him and a sense of duty. He wants a delight and a sense of duty to serve him. Duty without delight is not the worship that God receives. Guys, just imagine for a moment that uh, Emily and I are celebrating our anniversary. We are coming up on year 10 soon. We've known each other for about 12 years and coming up on 10. And just imagine this moment that I feel the pressure of a husband coming up on 10 years. Like, what do I got to do? 10 seems like a big deal. It's double digits. It's a decade. She's been putting up with me. And what if I was just like, man, I don't really want to do any of this. I'll sure, I'll take you out. Yeah, we'll like have a dinner, but then I'll complain about how much it costs and then all the work I got to do. And I did it, right? I, I took her out on the date in that illustration, right? But how do you think it felt if I was just like, yeah, babe, it's been great. God, when are we getting out of here? I'm tired. I don't like this food. Wearing all my money. How do you think it felt if I just performed a duty but my heart wasn't her. Guys, that's what you and I do when we serve, but we're just empty hearted towards God. We may sing worship songs. I may preach. You may lead in our kids ministry, but when your heart is just empty and aggravated at God and you're distant from him, that's not a worship that God delights in because he wants your heart and through your heart, he wants your life because that's what's good for you. And that's what gives God glory. So God doesn't want you, Koa, if you call this church a home, if you're a member, he doesn't just want your money, your time, your sacrifice, your service, your attendance. God wants your heart. He wants the core of you. That's the problem with Cain. He came with open hands, ton of stuff in him, but an empty heart. Three, Cain wanted to serve and worship God, but to do it in his own way, not the way that God desired or designed it. He wanted to serve God in his own way. By the way, that's what religion is. It's saying, God, I know I need some sort of relationship with you and I want to find my way to you, but I'm going to do it on my own terms. I'm going to figure out how to do this on my own. And I know that you have some ways for me to connect with you, but I'm going to do things my own way. That's what's happening here. I do believe that Cain knew how to worship God, that God requires both your hands and your heart to honor him, but I don't think he cared. I think he wanted to serve God in his own way. That's like us saying, God, I'll sacrifice to you, but not everything. God, I'm going to pray to you, but I'm not going to spend time doing that. God, I'll give to you financially, but I'm not going to give it sacrificially. 
I'm just going to give a dollar, two dollars, or whatever the case may be. It's not just monetary, but it's more than that. That's often what happens. God, I'll pay off my guilt through some prayer or some action I'll do for the church or my community. That's not the desire God has here. And what happens often, guys, we get angry with God that we're going to see. We give God maybe our best, and maybe we feel like God doesn't give us his best. And so we give to God and we serve to God, and then God doesn't give us what we think we want from him. So we grow bitter and angry at him. We say, God, I fasted and I sacrificed and I prayed and I paid you off, right? Why won't you give to me what you want? And that's often what we do too. We take our service to him and we turn it into manipulation. God, if I just do this, why won't you give me a spouse now or kids or this ministry position? Didn't I give you my everything? God, why won't now you give me back? Why won't you owe me back? It's not how God desired it or designed it. So guys, if we're seeking to serve God or honor God or follow God, we've got to do it his way. Guys, that's why the Bible is so central to the Christian life. You can't just say, I want to live my own way and I think that this is best and I want to honor God with how I was made or what my desires are when sometimes those desires are not honoring to him. If we want to honor him, we've got to honor him with how God wrote the scriptures to honor him and to follow him. Christians, that's for all of us and has tons of implications here. For sake of time, let's keep moving though. Verse five, so what happens? God rejects Cain's offering, verse five. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Guys, what you're noticing right here is probably the first time that Cain had ever disappointed someone, had ever not been prosperous, had not ever been better than Abel. And the Lord said to Cain, this is interesting, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? P.S. Guys, I love that God comes to his people again and again and again and has conversations with them when they fall in sin. God did it with Adam. He did it with Eve. He does it now with Cain. And guys, notice that God does not approach them with condemnation. He approached them with a question. God, of course, knows the answer, but he knows that Cain doesn't know the answer. He knows that Cain doesn't understand why he's angry or why his face has fallen. What is God doing here through this question? Does he not know? No, God knows. God is seeking Cain's confession and his repentance and his dependence on God again. And he's seeking out Cain's change. By the way, just want to let you know, this is a really good approach when you have been wronged by someone else. This is a great approach and God is showing as a model how to do this. When you are wronged by someone, like God was wronged, you and I just want to blast somebody, right? We just want to yell at them. We just want to get on them. We just want to judge them. We just want to condemn them. We want to blast them and show them how wrong they were. But what does God do first? Does he come through with condemnation? Or does he come through with question? Wanting a conversation. Wanting to understand why that person responded that way. So there can be love and healing and grace. God, this is a good approach for us when you've been wronged, when you've been hurt. Maybe not to put them on blast, but maybe have some questions and some conversation. Also, I love God uh, in this passage. I love how he notices our actions and our feelings. Like God is a very involved God. He sees what you're doing, but he also sees how you're doing. He sees and cares for every part of you and what you're experiencing, your depression, your anxiety, your loneliness, your isolation, friends. He sees all of that. He doesn't just care for what you do, but how you're doing. He says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? 
That's an emotional term. Why are you downcast? Why are you struggling? My friend, today God sees you where you're at. And even if you got there because of sin like Cain, he doesn't come in blasting you today. He comes with grace and care and patience and questions, trying to move your heart back to him. Guys, we have an incredible God. This is so different than how you and I often picture God. Just by the way, have you ever heard the statement, God is so angry and, and irrational and harsh in the Old Testament? You guys ever heard that if you've been a Christian for a while? I just want you to notice that like Adam and he blew up the world and then Cain's blowing it up even more. And notice God both times came with questions, both times. God is the best counselor of all time. God is reworking the heart. And I love this about him. He comes, yes, with truth. Yes, with strength. Yes, he's gonna call him out, but it's how he does it. It's merciful and it's gracious and it's kind. It's clear, it's convictional, but compassionate. Guys, we have so much to learn from how God navigates harm and sin and conflict. We would only do better to see how he navigates this. That's the bonus, not really in my notes, but just so good to see. Through this text, God asks, maybe even you today, listen, why might you be angry? Why are you angry with someone? Is there someone in your life, in your marriage, your kids, coworker, spouse, friend? Is there someone that you're like just low-key frustrated at with? You're not like rage, anger, like Cain and Abel, you're gonna go like kill him in a field somewhere because there's no fields in Boston other than Fenway. And then we're gonna catch you because it's the Fenway, right? But you're low-key angry at them. You're just frustrated at them. Like you're embarrassed by them. Maybe they like showed off in front of you. Maybe they made you feel like lesser or not cared for. And you're just low-key mad and angry. And God warns us in verse seven, like he's warning Cain. He's saying, Cain, listen, sin is right there and it's crouching at the door. Sin is crouching behind in every corner and it's trying to harm you in your relationships. So God is warning him there. Then God asks another question, like a good counsel in verse seven. He says, if you do well, Cain, would you not be accepted? Which means, Cain, if you live according to God's will, found in God's word, living according to God's glory, then won't it be good for you, Cain? Won't this go well for you? Won't I accept how this relationship works? I love God asking questions here. And God says, if you do not do well, then what? Sin is crouching at the door. Guys, God is warning Cain here using this personified visual of sin. It's this image of sin being like a lion crouching behind a post, waiting for something or someone to come and pounce on and destroy. That sin is personified like an active aggressor. And my friends, when you let low-key anger, low-key bitterness, resentment, frustration, if you let it sit there steaming, it's like sin crouching at the door. It will only grow stronger and stronger and it will end up attacking you and others and harming you and others. And God is warning Cain in a beautiful way about this. And guys, don't you feel that sometimes? Or don't you feel that same sort of warning? Like anger boils up in you and then what happens? You snap at your spouse, your kid, your coworker, your boss, your roommate, right? It boils up, it's crouching, and then you snap. Or maybe it's, defensiveness, like you're always ready to prove your worth or your value to someone and you're easily offended by someone. And so you always show up in every environment. You, you wanna speak up or you wanna push back in order to prove your worth or value in some way. This is what's happening. Sin is crouching at the door of your heart. 
And then God says that sin, I love this, sin and its desire is contrary to you. Guys, listen, the definition of sin, one definition is that sin is just rejecting God's will and it's choosing your own. Sin's rejecting God's will and choosing your own. And what you have here is God saying, listen, sin and its desires are always contrary to what's good and what's best for you. That's what God is saying. When we choose sin and not God's way, it's always not best for you. Sin is contrary to what's good for you. That's why, guys, God tells us not to follow the way of sin. It's very easy. It's not like God is some just like cosmic angry God trying to get you to like not have fun. He's trying to keep you from harm, from hurt. Sin and his desire is contrary to you. And God is trying to give you what's best. So therefore, God ends this with, you must, Cain, you must rule over your anger. You must rule over it. Guys, what a beautiful moment for God and Cain to have. It's a moment of grace and mercy and warning and encouragement to obey. Guys, God's taking sin incredibly seriously with Cain, just like he does with you. But he's also incredibly gracious as we see here. So God and Cain finish the conversation. And then we see, sin, we see Cain take his first step, verse eight, to deal with this. So Cain, verse eight, spoke to his brother Abel. Now guys, that's a great first step. He talks to his brother. By the way, if you're angry with someone, talk directly to them. Not indirectly about them to others, but talk directly to them. Like we tell our kids often, when you call someone out, you gotta be calm, you gotta be clear, and you gotta be kind. That's how we roll in the Peter's house is what we tell our kids. Gotta be calm, gotta be clear, gotta be kind. You can call anybody out you want to, but you gotta follow those rules. And that's a good advice for all of us. And we see Cain take a first good step. So Cain spoke to his brother Abel and we continue. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. So step two obviously didn't go so well. Step one, great. Step two, not so well. Cain took Abel for a walk. It's that moment, hey, bro, we gotta talk. We've got something for us to talk together. What I want you to notice is that this was also premeditated. This just didn't just arise out of Cain's heart in the moment. Just like sin in us doesn't just show up out of nowhere. We nurse it. And that's what might happen with you as you go out of church today. You might have some sin that's in your heart that you've nursed, some wound and you've nursed it and you've premeditated some desire to sin. You're gonna leave here today and you're gonna live the same way if we're not careful, if we're not mindful of this warning of how sin can hurt us and harm others. So Cain walks, goes for this walk, and he wants to talk about his anger and his jealousy about the whole burnt offering or offering incident. And then he kills him. Now listen, guys, before you judge Cain here too harshly, like, let's take a moment and look at your own heart. Like you can judge Cain, that's fine, but judge your own heart for a moment. Have you ever been angry or jealous that someone had something that you didn't? And did it make you feel lesser? That's what how Cain feels. It could be a job, a relationship, a possession, a title, an influence in something, notoriety. And when someone else has it, you you may feel embarrassed that you don't. You feel slighted that you didn't have it. You start feeling jealous and it grows. It just keeps getting worse. You feel bitter and you you feel angry. And then what happens? You lash out. You say hard things. You, You do wrong things. Guys, we do this at work with our roommates, with our spouse, our kids, and people at this church. It happens all the time. When we feel slighted, we act sinfully. It happens to Cain and it happens to you and I all the time. 
You may not murder with your hands, that person, but you do murder with your heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.22 that having anger and hate and bitterness towards someone is like what? It's like committing murder in your heart towards them. So again, church, let me ask you, who are you angry at? Who are you bitter at? Who do you feel slighted by? And then God tells you the same thing he told Cain. You must rule over that anger and that jealousy. But how do you do that? How do you rule over when someone has maybe harmed you or you feel embarrassed or slighted by them? How do you do that? You rule over it with the gospel, with the gospel. In the gospel, friends, we see all you need for your worth and your value, your power and security. It's provided for in Christ. No one can give it and no one can take it. It's unlimited, eternally yours, unconditional. No one can take that away. No worth, value, love, power, security. It's yours and it's forever. The cross proves your worth, Christian, that God died for you. So no position will be good enough. No job will be good enough. No relationship will be. What proves your value that no one can take is that God died for you. Loved you that much. No person will love you that much. No job, no boss, no matter finances, nothing will. We rule over it with the gospel. We must rule over it knowing that no one can take dignity and value from us ultimately, that God is the one who ultimately gives it. So what happens here? Cain kills his brother. Then the Lord asked Cain, Another question, again, trying to draw out his honesty and repentance. God says, where is Abel, your brother, Cain? And then Cain responds like the most sassy teenager or a three-nager, if you've got kids. Like I heard, by the way, like a fornado, by the way, like four years old, tornado, like fornado. I think that's kind of true. We've got a four-year-old coming up. That's a new one for me. And Cain responds like that. God's like, hey, Abel, where's your brother? He's like, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? If I said that to my mom or my dad or my wife or any of you, that'd be a bad, bad day. But look at how God responds again, verse 10. The Lord asks another question. Cain, what have you done? Guys, again, I I think something our church really struggles with is conflict resolution. We really struggle when we're angry at someone. We just like die in bitterness alone somewhere. Or you just blast them. And then you're like, well, I feel better. And then you don't. And neither does the other person. Like we all, guys, there's a ton to learn here about God, how, how God handles this. Does God flip out and just strike them dead right then? No. God calls them out. What have you done? But then he enters into this grace conversation. Guys, we've got to do the same way as our church. Talk directly to people, have honest conversations, call out sin, but be clear, kind and calm about how you do it. So God says, Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Guys, I just want to let you know here, this is comforting, that God sees every sin that's happened against you. God sees every brokenness that's happened. He sees every injustice that's happened in your life. Whether it was a parent, a guardian, someone that should have protected or loved you, a boss, coworker, a friend, a last relationship that mistreated you, God sees all of it and nothing is outside of his sight. And God will handle every wrong and every injustice in his perfect time, in his perfect way. Just like Abel couldn't defend himself Where's justice for Abel? God steps in. God does the same thing for you, Christian. Does the same thing for you. God will bring hope and healing and justice in time. 
we must trust that. So what does God do? God executes his justice in verse 11 and 12. God says this, Cain, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother, your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work of the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Well, that sounds terrible. Guys, this is, by the way, doubly hard um, what Cain received because his dad, Adam, got a similar punishment, but this is doubly as hard because I'm sure that Adam shared with Cain what had happened with him and Adam in, or him and uh, Eve in the garden. And Cain is resisting that lesson. And so now God is giving a double judgment. God didn't, Cain didn't learn his dad's lesson. So God gave a stronger judgment. In chapter three, God told Adam that working of the ground would be hard. But now in chapter four, we're learning that working from the ground will be impossible for Cain. It's harder. Chapter three, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. But chapter four, Cain would be a fugitive and a wanderer. So now no place will really be home for him. What we see in chapter three and four is that God takes sin seriously and justice seriously. And guys, may we learn from this warning that as a Christian, we must walk in God's will according to God's word, unto God's glory for our good. Let this be a warning. God takes your sin seriously. May we walk according to his will and his word for your good, Christian. Verse 13. So at this judgment, what happens? Cain feels the weight of his sin. He feels just this ick and this sort of fourfold punishment he unpacks back to God. Cain says, my punishment is just greater than I can bear. Verse 14, he says, behold, here's the first thing. You have driven me away from the ground, which is true. Verse two, you have your face, from your face, I'll be hidden. Three, I should be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Four, whoever finds me will kill me. And he feels this, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And look at what God says in the next verse. In an act of love and mercy, God said to him, not so. Guys, is this not the response of the cross as well? The punishment of our sin is just too big. It's too much for us to bear. And God must give a judgment, yes. But who did he give it to? He gave it to Jesus so you could be freed from it. This is a beautiful pointing us forward to what Jesus does for us. The weight of our sin and shame is too big, but we must have punishment for it. And in love, Jesus takes it. This is a loving and good God. He's equally just and equally merciful. And we find how they meet in the cross. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of what happened. So God says, not so, not so. If anyone kills Cain, God continues, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. God's like, I'll take it up if someone tries to harm you. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain. This might be like the first ancient Hebrew tattoo. I don't know what it looked like. Whether it was like a heart sign and God's name in it, I'm not really sure. But God somehow marked Cain um, with the first sort of tattoo, warning others not to harm Cain. Because remember, I told you that a lot of time has passed, right? That when the time came or as time continued, it could have been months, years, and Adam and Eve could have more kids and they could have had more kids and they could have more kids. And people at that time could live a, bit, a little bit longer. There's less pollution. There's less harm and uh, there's less ozone issues and more green. I have no idea, but the people could live a little bit longer then. So we could have some generations of people at this time. And Cain was worried that he would be killed knowing what he did to Abel. His family at a family reunion would, would be angry. And so God protects Cain through this unique tattoo moment. Verse 16, 
But look at what happens with all the grace, with all the forgiveness, with all the mercy, with all the counseling that God gave to move Cain's heart. Look at what Cain does. Breaks my heart. It happens with us as well. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Guys, there are multiple ways that you and I go away from the presence of the Lord. The same is true for Cain that it is for us. God is merciful and gracious and kind and patient and slow. And you and I often go away from the presence of the Lord. Guys, if I can just pause just for a quick moment. If you're exploring the claims of Christianity and you've gotten some maybe understanding of Jesus and what he's done on the cross or you're watching online or whatever the case may be, guys, in this time, God is so patient and so gracious and so merciful and has shown you and told you that Jesus has come to die on the cross. But there's a day if we keep rejecting him, that God will just give us what we want which is a rejection of him. And he will allow you to live like that for all of eternity after you pass away. God won't force you into that relationship. If you want a rejection of God, then God will give you that after you pass for all of eternity. And guys, what I don't want to have happen to you is you hear of his grace and his mercy, how he forgives you and frees you and empowers you to live for him, how he's your joy and and satisfaction and he comforts you. And then you walk away like Cain. Guys, today, if you're still questioning or curious about the claims of Christianity, guys, one day, one day, God will either just let you have what you want and let you have a life apart from him. Or maybe today you hear that he's offering you the gift of himself for forgiveness and salvation. So would you not be like Cain, friend? Would you not just go away from the presence of God? So I told you there's multiple ways, Christian, that we do this, that we walk away from the presence of God. So we're going to walk through this next part of the passage pretty quickly. And I'm just going to point them out to you rapid fire. There are so many ways for, as a Christian, we wander our own way away from the presence of God. So I want to point these out to you. And I want you to ask yourself, where do I fall prey to this? Where do I fall prey to walking away from God's will? Verse 17 So after this, Cain knew his wife, which was unfortunately some uh, sort of relative, uh, which is kind of awkward, but that's what happened. By the way, the Bible often doesn't give you all like prescriptive things, like commands. Sometimes things are just descriptive in the Bible. Just because it says it in the Bible doesn't mean that you should do it. Sometimes just God's describing things in the Bible so that you don't do it. Does that make sense? Some things are prescriptive, some things are descriptive. God's not saying marry your sister. Make sure that that's clear here. Cain somehow married a relative because that's all who were there back then, okay? (laughs) Won't have any South jokes. Um, We'll just keep moving, okay? So Cain knew his wife, some relative, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when Cain built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Verse one tells us four things that we often run to instead of Christ. And that's what Cain was doing, running away. He ran to marriage, he ran to kids. We often did the same thing. God, I wanna be loved. I wanna be known by someone. I wanna have that companion. I wanna deeply be with someone. And so we just abandon all conviction for whatever sake of relationship. We'll give our bodies away when we didn't want to. We'll let our passions go awry. And we want to be loved and intimate with someone that we're willing to compromise. And we run to relationships. We run to marriage. We think having kids will save us. And if you have kids, you're like, they didn't save us. I need saving from the kids, right? I love kids. I've got two. I'm not trying to dog on them, but you get it. Parents, you especially get it. We run to those things. We often run to relationships or kids or family in order to do two things, to satisfy desires and to silence guilt. 
That's what you try to do. That's where you run to away from the presence of God. You try to satisfy some desires. You try to silence some guilt. And also we see Cain not just do family and kids and marriage and relationships, but what's he run away to? He runs away to success and achievements. Is that not what Boston does? We like produce that as a city. As much as I love this city, that's what we produce. People that run for achievements and success. What does Cain do? He runs away and he distracts himself by building a city. Is he the mayor? I don't know. But he builds a city and he's like, I want this to be known in my legacy. So I'm going to name him my family name. I'm going to name him after my son. And to deal with the nagging guilt that he has for murdering his brother, rather than repenting and putting it future on the cross and let God forgive him and love him and comfort him, he's like, I'm going to distract myself. I got to build success and this business and this job, and I got to climb the ladder and get value and importance. And if I can get that, then I can feel love again. Because I don't know if mom and dad will love me, or I can't believe I did what I did. So I'll distract myself. Do you and I not do the same exact thing? We just distract ourselves. We pursue success and business and money and academics. Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but for doing them away from the presence of God, it's not good. Those are just four things and there's a lot more here. Verse 18, Cain has a kid, Enoch. That kid has a kid that has a kid that has a kid that struggled to pronounce. My wife did great and he ends with Lamech. And Lamech was a piece of work, let me tell you. Verse 19, again, this is not prescriptive, God commanding this, but he's describing the chaos. It just keeps getting worse. Lamech takes two wives. Listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I love my one wife. I could not handle two. My wife is a rock star. I love her. I just think that's a bad idea. (laughs) Just pragmatically to have two wives in your home. I don't know how it works. One of the wives was named Adah and the other Zillah. Now, I do think those are real names, but also what we're learning something in even our language is that he's got women from like A to Z. Okay, bad joke, but fair. Oh, some of you just got it. You're like, oh, that's terrible, bro. We'll delete that later, okay? Verse 20, so here's some of the kids. Adabor Jabal. His brother's name was Jubal. And then the other wife had Tubal-Cain. Three kids, and look at how Cain raised them. Jabal was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Cain, through his distraction and busyness, taught his sons what were most valuable and most important, and it was work. That's how Jabal understood, this will rescue me. This will help me with sin. Goes all the way down the line. Is it bad to farm? Is it bad to be a butcher? No, but when it says he was the father of, it was like this was his main thing that he did. Yes, that's good for agricultural and uh, the continuing of society. That, that's great that that happened, but he was the father of. He, it was everything to him. We see we distract ourselves that way. The next son, he was the father of all who would play the lyre in the pipe. What's that? That's the start of the music industry. The flute, the pipe, the lyre. So this son, he put all his time into music and entertainment. Guys, when you go through challenges, when you have a hard time sleeping at night, what do you typically do? Bam, you pull up entertainment to help you, right? When you're feeling isolated, alone, anxious, what do you do at night? Do you pray? Are you like open the Bible? Are you like working through it? What do you do? Next episode of Netflix, right? I'm gonna turn on some music, right? Do we not all do that, right? That's exactly what we learned from Jabal. You blame him for that. I'm just gonna create some things to distract me. Now, is music bad? No, God can use all of these things in a wonderful way. 
But we're learning that his family is distracting him from what's ultimate. And then last we've seen Tubal Cain, he was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. What's he bringing to society? He's bringing tools and technology. Those are great things. But guys, what's the number one thing that distracts you in your walk with God? It's probably your what? Your phone, computer. Guys, we see time and time again, Cain went from the presence of God. We do that all the time. Relationships, marriage, kids, work, music, technology. We do the same thing. We do the same thing going from the presence of God. Well, it gets worse. Because let me tell you in verse 23, if I ever spoke like this, my wife, not be good. 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. If I ever said, Emily, you wife of Aaron, it would just not like, I had to sleep on your couch. Just wouldn't go well in my family. He says, listen to what I say. Super arrogant dude. He's like, I have killed a man for wounding me. Hmm, this sounds familiar. What'd your great, 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 great granddad do? But where Cain had some, arguably had some guilt, Lamech's got no guilt. He's boasting. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. What? He's got the bruise from some kid, from some teenager, and Lamech murders him? The language for young man here is boy. He kills a child and he's boasting about it. It just keeps getting worse. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Notice in the New Testament, Jesus picks up on this and he says how we should forgive someone, 70 times 70. He's coming back to this point where what Lamech needed in that heart, he's like, I know that I did something wrong. I need God's protection. And God's saying that protection is forgiveness. It's grace. It's what you need in the cross, Lamech. And we're seeing the gospel foretold all the way in the New Testament. Guys, you might not like this part, but hear me out. Guys, what we see here in Cain's family line is that they don't know how to deal with the problem of sin. They don't know how to deal with satisfaction and how to be satisfied. They don't know how to silence the guilt and neither do we. And our culture and our church wrestles with this in very much the same way. You might not like this, but listen, some of us think like, I need to move to a more rural area. I need to move to a different city. I need to live in the garden. Well, we learn from Genesis 1 and 2 that that doesn't work. It doesn't fix the problem of sin. Some people think I need to move to an urban city. I need to live in a city like Cain did with all of this excitement. I need to move to New York. I need to move to another city because maybe that place will give me what I long for. Nope, didn't work for Cain and his family. Some people think, okay, let's be hyper-feminists like Eve. Didn't work. Let's be hyper-chauvinists like Lamech. Nope, didn't work. Neither spectrum. Let's have some kids. Let's get married. Let's civilize the population. That didn't work. Let's increase music and art and entertainment. Those things aren't bad in them of themselves, but they're terrible saviors and they can never satisfy. We say, let's have advancements in tech. Let me work more hours. Let me climb the ladder. Let me explore my body sexually. Let me be free and easy with how I live. Like Lamech with multiple wives, doesn't work. Let's run over those. Let's be angry at those. Let's be bitter. Let's lash out at those like Cain and Lamech with our anger and our frustration. That doesn't work either. But here's what does work. God gives a person and a promise in Jesus. God brings us a savior to both what? Satisfy our desires and to silence our guilt. Jesus is the hope and God gives them this hope, a son. Verse 25, Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and she called his name Seth. For she said, now listen to the difference of how we started. She's humble now. She looks to God as her solution for her satisfaction and not herself. 
She says, God has appointed for me another offspring. Do you see the difference of how we started? I have produced a man. I've got the solution. I know how to do this. And her whole family line tries to do the same thing. Entertainment and job. I've got the solution. And finally, she gets it. God, he's the satisfier. He can silence the guilt. He can bring hope. I love that. God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth, also a son was born. So the line continues. And through that line will come Jesus. And I love how it ends here. It says, and at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. I love that. Why are they calling on the name of the Lord? Because they finally reached the end of themselves. Tech, family, work, relationships, marriage, nothing satisfied. So what do the people do? They start calling on the name of the Lord. Guys, do we have to get to that point in order to call on him? Can we just learn from how they lived and call on him now? Like Christian, listen, I don't want you to wait until life gets terrible where you wreck your marriage and your relationships and you, you, you overwork at your job. You work in 60, 70 hours a week and you're burnt out. I don't want you to wait to get to the point. Just look now and call on the name of the Lord. Let him satisfy you. Let him silence the guilt. Let him comfort you. Walk with him. So a couple of takeaway questions as we conclude. What sins have you noticed crouching at the door of your heart? These won't be on the screen because I've got like a ton of them. We're moving fast here. I'll cut a few. What sins have you noticed crouching at the door of your heart? What are those? When it says crouching means that they're small, but they have a big impact over time. What are the small sins? Is it pornography? Is it lying? Is it stealing? Overworking? Bitterness? Resentment? What are the small sins crouching? Because we learned through Cain's line that none of that ends up well. It explodes through the family line. And maybe you're the one to stop that in your own family line. What sins have you noticed crouching at the door? Number two, who are you angry at and why? Who are you resentful at and why? Who are you bitter at and why? Yes, I understand they could have harmed you. They could have hurt you. I very much understand that. How will you respond? Will you trust that God will bring justice? And will you pursue that person in reconciliation? Christian, that's what we must do. If you feel hurt by someone, if you were angry, you must trust God to bring justice and you must go pursue that person in reconciliation. Call them out. Be clear, kind, calm. And guys, last, where are you turning to? Where are you turning to to satisfy your desires and to silence your guilt? Like right now, last night, this past week, where do you run to? Is it a person? Is it a place? What is it? Where are you running to to satisfy your desire and silence your guilt? My friends, run to the cross. I love the ending of what we learn about Abel's story. It doesn't actually end here in Genesis 4. It ends in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, God tells us that God gave us his first fruits. God gave the first fruits. Sometimes we think, you know, Cain and Abel, like God was holding out on them. Why did Cain and Abel have to offer first fruits? Well, what's God going to do? God himself offered his first fruits to humanity. Jesus is called the first fruit, the firstborn son of humanity, pointing us back to the story. God gave us Jesus, the first and the best. Hebrews 12 even tells us that Jesus' blood cries out a better word than Abel. Jesus' blood cries out a better cry than Abel. Jesus' blood cries out to you today, church. Listen, Abel's blood cries out in defeat, 
but Jesus' blood cries out in victory. Abel's blood cries out in death, but Jesus' blood calls, cries out in death and then resurrection. Abel's blood cries out for justice, but Jesus' blood cries out that justice for our sin was already paid. Amen? What we see in Genesis is not just what happened, it's what always happens. Sin tempts us and then takes us down. But the beauty of Genesis is that it always points us to what we need. It pointed that through this line, this broken family line, that a Savior indeed will come and has come. And this Savior is Christ, the sin crusher, the serpent crusher, the sin satisfier, the guilt silencer. The Savior can both satisfy you and silence the guilt for what he's done on the cross. So Christian, will you follow him deeper today? Will you trust his plan? Will you not nurse the premeditated sins that you have crouching at the door? Will you turn from those today and see that if you don't, we see a hardship in your family and down the line and things don't go well for you. God is gently warning us today. What have you done? Where are you? Why are you there? Hear him call you to himself today. Guys, as we take communion, I want you to take a moment to really reflect. Hear God say, where are you? How are you? Where do you need to turn and trust him anew to satisfy you and to silence the guilt? Let's pray together.